You've come to the right place. If you're a course creator looking to build more impact, income, and freedom, LMSCast is the number one podcast for course creators just like you. I'm your guide, Chris Badgett. I'm the co-founder of the most powerful tool for building, selling, and protecting engaging online courses called Lifter LMS. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome back to another episode of LMS Cast. My name's Chris Badgett and I'm joined by a special guest, Tom LaBelt. Welcome to the show, Tom. What's up, man? Uh, it's great to have you. Tom's over from the Smart Brand Marketing Podcast. So go check that out. He has a lot of episodes specifically for course creators. And I'm going to see what I can get out of him for you on this episode. So after you listen to this one, go check out Tom's podcast, Smart Brand marketing. Uh, he's also the founder of WeCreateOnlineCourses.com. He's a documentary filmmaker about the digital nomad movement called Your Own Way Out. And he has a background in the music industry and was a rap st- is a Polish rap star in his past. So obviously a serial entrepreneur and I'm excited to get into it. But it's very, there's like a, I could count on two hands the number of people that are as obsessed, interested, curious, about online courses and you know this this particular segment of the pie and digital entrepreneurship, uh, and you just like on first glance, I can tell I can tell you're you're going to be on one of those uh, on that short list, uh, <laughs> and you and you've been around a lot of course creators. Why do many of them fail? What do you see going on there? It's just no clarity, no focus, no marketing. You know, there are a lot of reasons, but usually it's it's all boils down to just no game plan. Other than let's let's make a course, let's see what happens. Yeah, let's let's monetize or whatever. <laughs> let's, <Yeah. laughs> let's see what let's see what's gonna happen. Let's just put it out there. Maybe you know, maybe people will buy it because I'm so you know I'm such a great teacher. You know, it, I, I mostly yeah mostly just no game plan. Like when I talk to a course creators, they're just confused. They put some shit out there like, hey, it's just laying here. What do you think you can do? That. Yeah, I can totally resonate with that. And I have a framework that I help people, you know, kind of get clear on on what might be missing. I call it the five hats problem, where a course creator has a pretty impossible job to be an expert, a community builder, a teacher slash instructional designer, a technologist, and an entrepreneur all in one person. And the reality is there's very few of those superhumans out there. And when I look at the course projects that are successful, they often outsource or you know build a team to you know spread those hats around. You mentioned course marketing. I know that's you know a big part of the game plan. Um, on, on your site, we create online courses. You talk about building a course with marketing in mind. What does that mean? Well, so the one business which I don't promote much is my online course marketing business, and it's actually where I have probably the most clients right now. And it's all from word of mouth. So my background's in marketing, right? So I always look at every single course and then I tell people this, you know, before you build the first module, before you create the outline, let's figure out who's going to buy this thing, what the niche is, how to position it, and then build a foundation around that, you know, because that's the most important thing. If we can, if we know who we're selling it to, if we know how we're going to sell it, if we have a game plan for that, don't worry about it. You'll be fine. You know, as long as you have your info, which you do, 
like that's all going to be smooth. But those are the most important things. Like don't make a course and then say like, oh, I'm, I'm curious if someone's going to buy it. You know, that's not the right approach. Let's talk about who is it for. Um, it sounds simple and it sounds obvious, but I've been in digital entrepreneurship for about a decade and I still obsess over, you know, who is my target market? Like, who is this actually for? Who am I trying to reach? And so it's a lot harder than it sounds. Um, but like, what's some advice you have on helping experts who may not have a marketing background start with that question of who is it for? Who do I want to serve? What should they do to even figure that out? Well, as you said, you know, we do wear a lot of different hats as business people and we should, you know, we should know how to do a couple different things. You know, we should know how to do basic copywriting, basic marketing, basic financials. Like we, we need to do some basic stuff. But there's also parts of the business which you should maybe get some help on, right? And, and positioning, marketing, you know, maybe go to someone that actually knows what they're doing. Now, if you do want to do it yourself, you can. So why not pre-launch the course? And when you pre-launch the course, write down who you think the perfect customer is, right? And then when you go on Facebook, and everyone can do Facebook marketing. Like the basics are super simple. Create maybe five or six audiences, right? And try to make each audience as close to your perfect client, but just try to think of different angles, different people, maybe separate by age groups a little bit, by male, female, um, different income, and then see which one gets you the most opt-ins, gets you the most leads, if they can prepay, that's even better, right? Because you know that's your buyer list. But test it. Like, don't assume anything. Like, don't assume that you know who the perfect client is. Don't write it down and be like, this is my guy, and I'm going to write the course now. Because you don't know. Like, every single idea, until it hits the public, it's just an idea, right? Anything you copyright, anything you put out there, unless you actually get data and feedback, like, you don't know. Assumption is the worst thing in the business, especially on a course, because it's, that's a big piece to produce, right? Before you actually know who's going to buy it. That's a big, I guess, project. You know, if you really think of it that way, it's a project. It's a big project. Yeah, that's super helpful. That's, uh, yeah, that's, that's great. I, I heard you say on your podcast, Smart Brand Marketing Podcast, that um, you've, you were saying something along the lines of a Facebook lookalike audience. People shouldn't necessarily spend as much time as on that as opposed to creating some really targeted audiences of their own. And for those of you listening that don't know what a lookalike audience is, basically you upload your customer list or your prospect list and Facebook will theoretically market to people just like them. Um, but why do you think it's better to just kind of manually do the targeting. Well, first thing, when you create a lookalike audience, the smallest one you can create is a million people. There are a lot of niches which have maybe 80,000 to 200,000 people. And if I get super creative, and sometimes you need to because the perfect audience, in my experience, is about 400,000, 500,000 people. And that's so we can scale and that's always super targeted. You know, but sometimes you do got to get creative. Now, when you get that million you're spending a lot of money and you don't know who it's going to because Facebook is just, you know, just doing whatever the hell they do. And half of it is just to take money from you. 
Now, when you do do a lookalike, um, and there are there are reasons when I I would test a lookalike, because if you have like a thousand or two thousand buyer list. So, for example, I have a client that um, works in the Instagram space, right? And and buyers are usually females. So what I would do is I would take those two thousand buyers, create a lookalike, um, separate it into females only, and only people that like Instagram and only people with money and behaviors that make them buy shit. And now that audience will still go down to about 500,000, maybe 600,000. So I will create a lookalike. Like I'm not sure what interests they are, but I know that they at least need to be women. They at least need to like Instagram. They at least need to want to buy buy stuff and they at least need to have some kind of income to buy it. So I'm still constraining that. That's great. And I have to selfishly ask you a question because I'm way more of an inbound content marketer than a paid acquisition guy. How do you, what's an example of some interests that indicate that this type of person may be a buyer? Is it that they're like own a home or something or like what, what are, what are Facebook interests that indicate buying behavior? So a lot of this is kind of insight stuff, but I will give you the one that still works. And if you go to um, just behaviors, um, they will, show you engaged shoppers and mm. just use that as the first uh the first one you can still use that one engaged shoppers engaged shoppers very cool um i just while we're there on like audience um i also heard on your podcast you were interviewing somebody in the uh you know parent helping with kids that can't sleep so this person built a course <laughs> around that yeah um, I'm always fascinating and just it, sometimes it comes into my awareness. Certain niches are just huge, <laughs> like babies and, and they're like evergreen. You know, there's always like new kids being born and parents having trouble getting kids go to sleep. They are. Do you have any comments around like just general comments for course creators, whether they're in a big niche like that or trying to get in there or let's say a super niche, small niche? No, like, should, really. should, we, should we go after big niches or does it just depend on our expertise or what? Is it easier with a big niche or what? No, it doesn't matter. It's all about positioning. Like I have, I have a couple clients that go after huge niches and then I have some that have like seriously, I mean, even with, with me stretching it, you know, their basic community is 80,000. Now I get super creative and make it into about 400,000, but it's like there, if you ask them, they're like, no, there's 80,000 buyers in this niche. And one of them is a health niche. And the guy is a practitioner and he's like, look, that's all the people that are in my niche. It's 80,000. And he's making money. He's making good money. Like we spent, uh, let me see, we spent maybe $1,500 on a webinar promo in April, and I think he made around $28,000 from that. And then we did another one that was a similar amount. So, I mean, you got to think, like, this guy can easily pull in $200,000 a year from a very, very small niche. And we're, like, we're still testing. Like, I have no idea how, you know, how well we can get this optimized because we're still testing. But, I mean, that's a small niche. Is it, was it, were you using Facebook ads to get signups to the webinar? only Facebook because the guy's budget is quite small. So I told him, look, the only thing we can do is Facebook. You know, it's not the optimal strategy. You know, I would like to use more, but that's all we do. Seriously, we had one ad running to one landing page. That was it. 
what's if you want to play with Facebook, like let's say you have a webinar in your funnel for your course, yeah. what's a is there like a specific dollar value that you need to be over that threshold to to have any serious chance? Or can you really test the can you test that funnel? You said fifteen hundred dollars, I think. Could you test that for like a hundred just to see if it worked before you put fifteen hundred on it? Yeah, yeah. We the, the first one we did with him was uh, three hundred dollars, and he made almost ten thousand with it. Hmm. So you can validate. You don't necessarily have to have these giant budgets. No, no, no. Anything over ten dollars, you're you're fine. Super cool. Um. Well, let's talk about YouTube a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I heard you say something that I didn't even know was possible, which you can target specific videos. Yeah, we do it all the time. Yeah, yeah. So I'll, I'll find um, I'll find competition for you know whoever I'm working with, and we'll find the top viewed videos, top competition, and we'll target only those. How is it? How do you do it? I mean, I've I've just recently started experimenting with YouTube ads. Is it? Do you, can you literally find a specific video or do you have to try to figure out like the exact keywords or tags or whatever? No, no, no. You can find a specific video. You can use it in, in, uh, in the placements. Very cool. Are those, and are those like pre-rolls type videos? Um, so, or so we use um, pre-rolls and we use the banner ads. And I find the banner ads work um, much better in a lot of cases and then they're cheaper. So... Um, just so I'm clear, is a pre-roll that like annoying thing that you have to wait five seconds to skip and then the banner ad ad is like, how long does it stick on there? Is it there the whole video if they don't turn it off or don't? Um, so we don't use the banner ads in the video. We use the banner ad that's on the right. So there's a place on the right of the video where you can see one picture if someone's paying for it. Is it like with the related videos kind of area? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's in that area. Yeah. And if someone's paying for it in that video, you'll see it the whole time. Wow. That is awesome. Any other advice for the beginning course creator who doesn't have a lot of marketing experience and wants to leverage YouTube? Um, for YouTube, I would just use that. Just find your favorite videos. And for Gmail, because it's in the same echo space, um, what I would do is I would just sign up to my competitor's mailing list and take the address from the mailing list and use the address to just target their whole mailing list with my uh, Gmail ads. Say that one more time. I, I didn't quite Because in Gmail, you've got to use keywords, right? Um, yeah. To target the audience. Well, you can use their address as a keyword. Oh, I see. Very interesting. That's a pro tip right there. Um, what about Instagram? I think I heard you say, which I can agree with, correct me if I'm wrong, that you're not really a power Instagram guy. And I also heard that... Um, and I have the same issue. Like if you have a shoe company or like physical products, maybe Instagram is a better fit, but is Instagram relevant to course creators? In some niches. So I've tested a lot this month just because one of my clients, well, actually two this month, we're just super interested in Instagram. So I think we spent around fifteen, sixteen thousand $16,000 testing it. And I'll tell you this, the stories placements work way better than the placements in the actual feed. Awesome. Um, Cool. Well, I hope you listening out there are taking notes because <laughs> Tom is just laying down some hard-won truths here. Um, positioning. You mentioned positioning is a key to marketing and why some course creators fail. Mm-hmm. If I'm new to marketing and you know I'm an expert or maybe I'm a teacher first and not really a developed entrepreneur, 
how do you kind of get me get my head straight around positioning? Let's say I found an audience that I want to serve. How do I figure out positioning? Just hire someone. Just just <laughs> just don't just don't do it. I'm not saying hire me because I'm you know I probably have enough work you know, but just hire someone. It's like with copywriting, right? Like if you if you want to spend three four months learning how to copyright and come up with a decent script, do it. Otherwise, just hire someone. You know, because with positioning, like what you can do is. Well, once again, you got to learn some copywriting. But what you can do is create like six to ten different headlines, um, and use that targeting method that I mentioned before. You know about the perfect audience. So you and just test, not only not only do you have to figure out positioning, you need to test your position. You got to test it, yeah, because because you don't know it's an assumption, right? What are some exa- examples of positioning? It doesn't even have to be in the course niche. Just like what's a brand that has really good positioning? Uh, Brendan's got really good positioning. Or what's an, just like an example? Well, the best one is, um, was it a car company that, you know, they, they came in second and they said, we try harder. Oh, like Hertz or Enterprise or one of those? Well, I mean, that's great positioning, yeah. right? That's the yeah. best positioning I've ever seen. Like, we try harder. I'm like, well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. And it, it can be really simple too. Like, don't, you know, don't overthink. You don't think it's got to be like a really long sentence. Like something like that can be enough. You know, most of the time, it's not what you do, it's how you do it. You know, how you actually serve what you do that makes a difference. So if you can think about how you're doing things, position it with that in mind, right? Because that's, that's what really grabs people. It's like, you know, yeah, you're all doing SEO, but how? That's what separates people. Yeah, I think maybe Southwest Airlines might be a good example of that. They have like all the planes are the same, no assigned seats. They just position completely different. I think the bags are free. Like it's just a, it's just a totally different compared to the other. Um, you know, I'm, I'm so used to business class. I think it's just chaos on Southwest. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it depends. It depends how you think. But to me, it's just chaos. I'm like, yeah, that, that's good, guys. I'm gonna uh, go somewhere else now. <laughs> what about sales funnels in general for course creators? Um, like, what's a super simple sales funnel that a course creator could think of? I mean, the best thing is to really do keep it simple. So send people to some kind of a masterclass or a webinar, just have them opt in and view it right then. And right after they view it, just try to sell, sell whatever you're selling. If they, if they don't buy it during the masterclass or webinar, have some kind of emails shooting out, retarget them, just get them to the sales page. Um, if they went to the sales page and then started checking out and abandoned, you know, retarget those people and at least ask them, like, why haven't you bought? How can I help? That's it. Like super simple stuff, man. Just take them on a little journey. It's a customer. What's the difference between a webinar and a masterclass or is it not really? It's just a different name. There's no difference at all. It's just people are tired of the name webinar. So call it a masterclass. <laughs> yeah. What, uh, what makes a good webinar? Give two or three like really actionable examples, like something someone can take right now to make a difference. Like with me, like, you know, if I just told people about how to market online course and I told them this Gmail thing, the YouTube thing and something else I could come up with super quick, maybe even just a targeted audience, they could use it right now. Like they don't need me for that. And then I would sell. I would probably use three, four minutes in the beginning just to sort of tell them who I am and why they should even listen to me, but I wouldn't spend much at all about that because I don't matter, you know? Just try to help them. And then at the end, be like, look, maybe even in the beginning, be like, look, just so you guys don't feel nervous, you know, this is my offer. That's how much it's going to be. You know, now since we got that out the way, let's, you know, listen to these tips and let's get going. 
Yeah, that's awesome. Keep it simple. Webinar or uh, sales funnels don't have to be complicated and neither does. No, because the know, thing is like someone's got a problem and they want to have it solved. So stop overthinking and just help them solve their problem. You know, and don't be tricky about it. That's the problem with the salesy thing. People are scared to be salesy, but it's just like, don't, don't trick people. That's fine. People love to be sold. Yeah, if it's a good fit. <laughs> yeah, if it's a good fit. Yeah, they, they love it. They don't want to feel like they got to buy something, but they love to be sold. Like, oh, wow, that's great. Sometimes they even know that you're selling them, but they just can't stop because it's so good. Do you have any general tips on pricing or how to even think about pricing? The thing I feel about pricing is if it's too cheap, um, you can't use ads. And if you can't use ads, you just cut out a huge marketing piece, you know, because things like SEO, they take a long time. Things like blogging, podcasting take a long time, unless you enjoy it. Like I do my podcast because I enjoy it. Plus, I always feel like I'm learning something. But it's not meant for selling, even though I do get clients from it. But it's, you know, it, it's that circle, right? But it's not why I'm doing it. But if you price it normally, which to me is between like 900, well, it depends how you're doing it. Like I would say, because people do monthly or yearly or whatever, you know, but monthly, if you think about monthly, between $90 and $300, you're fine. Anything more than that, you can kill it. Um, sometimes you want to do something a little cheaper in the beginning and do an upsell. Um, but if you just think between $90 and $290 per month, that's enough per sale to get some advertising and make some profit. Um, but then yearly, you know, you obviously want something like around $900 to $3,000, $4,000 easy. You know, like you want that chunk in your bank account. What about Evergreen versus um, uh, launch or, you know, launch specific, like open close? Is that something that does that, do you have any opinion on that? Like what people should try or focus on? And like, what perspective are you thinking of? Like, what do you mean by Evergreen versus open soul? Are you talking about the way you're marketing or are you talking about the course itself? Like the course itself, when we first launch, should it, uh, like just be open forever and we just keep trying to add people to it? Or is it better to kind of do a cohort model and we move groups of people through it? Have you, I don't know, maybe, have you seen any difference out there? And I mean, sometimes you're constrained by, like if you do live coaching and group coaching and you want everybody at exactly the same spot at the same time, then uh, not doing evergreen makes sense. <clears throat> But I don't know if you've seen anything out in the marketplace of like people find more success when they, when it's not evergreen or evergreen is good or it's just a giant, it depends. What I usually find um, that works best is a mix of the above, right? So we're going to talk about the online courses themselves and then the marketing. With the online courses themselves, um, you want to have a big piece that people can go through without you touching anything, Right. But then you do want to have them stick. So you do want to have some kind of a webinar or, or some kind of a class or just question and answer thing maybe once a month, right? You, yeah. you want that. And then you can keep it going forever. Now with marketing, um, I think you should keep the course open at all times, but you should make events. So live webinars or, or something else every month or two. So this is why that works best. If you have a whole funnel coming in on a regular basis, some will buy, some won't. So the best way to retarget the people that haven't bought, because you're building a list. So every two months, let's say you have another thousand people that came, opted in, didn't buy, and you target that group again. 
and that's when people make the most money, right? So you're getting, so when you're actually selling a course all the time, you are making some kind of a profit, but maybe it's not huge. But that 10x will happen during these special events. So this could be around holidays, just master classes. Like you're going to do like six of these special little launches or, you know, maybe more. But I would say six is enough to make up all that money. So we just want to grab all of it, you know. And this is the way that we're doing it almost for everyone. So are you saying that a lot of times, you know, first time people are exposed or go through a webinar or whatever, there's a big hole out there in a lot of people's funnels where they're not trying to re-engage people that showed interest but didn't buy right away? Yeah. So, you know, people do try to re-engage them with ads and things, and we do get a big percentage that buy, but still 60, maybe percent, 70% would consider it much more if it was some kind of a live event or something that's something special, right? Like they feel like they're getting a deal. It's like prime day in Amazon. People that don't even know they have to buy shit, they're buying things, right? So what what are some other tips on event-based marketing? So there's, there could be like a special day, like a holiday almost. Uh, Yeah, just just, invent a holiday. Yeah, just get creative. Like just create, you know, mix and match. Like do a couple maybe holidays, create your own holiday, do a couple live webinars, just just play with it. But give people at least six opportunities a year to be a part of something special. Like it's only now. Like if you miss it now, like you missed it. Like don't be one of these jackasses that puts like a live webinar and then leaves it on for like two weeks. Like no, you have like two or three days to watch it. If not, like sorry. Like, you know, you missed a live one. We'll give you a day or two, but, you know, bye. Yeah. And then in two months, ooh, it's special again, you know, like hit him with something, but don't just leave it, you know, you're already leaving the sales page open. So let's just, you know, don't make everything evergreen. Then nothing is special. People can see through that bullshit. When I look at, we create online courses. Um, you also have a, like a video and audio help industry where industry pros make you sound and look great. So if we take off like our entrepreneur and our marketing hat and we put on our teacher, instructional designer, technology hat, what what problems do people have with, you know, creating videos and audios? And I mean, you have a background in music, so you're, uh, you know, audio really well. Like what, what friction are you removing there? Well, the main thing is people hate the sound of their voice and me working in the, engineering world and and just in the in the music studios like i've had people come in like major stars that couldn't get on the mic until like all the settings were right so their voice was the way that they wanted it to to sound you know because we would make their voices sound better you know this is like people you've listened to you know with number one hits but people just don't like the sound of their voice like my girlfriend like she hates it like i tell her to make youtube videos all the time she's like no i don't like my voice you know i'm like i can i can fix that <laughs> like in a nice way you know i can, yeah. I can definitely smooth that thing out but that's one thing right that's you know i do have that experience i've been in the music business i've made a movie i've seen how much work it is to make the actual visual part look pretty good too so why would you want to learn that you know i went to full sale i spent years just trying to make things sound good. Like, why would you try to attempt that or get some idiot, which I've seen a lot of them that edit podcasts. And the only thing they do is like change it to some preset. You know, I'm like, really? Like, that's what you do. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So like, like you said earlier, sometimes it's better to hire somebody or get a professional to help. Well, um, it, it depends 
um, what quality of a product you're trying to put out. You know, because we went through that era of average, you know, where average stuff came out and people were like, yeah, this is great. But I mean, now we're bombarded with things. Like I'm seeing so many videos and gurus and, you know, people like, hey, you know, I've had one success and now I'm going to teach you this. And I'm like, look, like we've been through this and your quality sucks. What exactly are you going to teach me? Yeah, that's... You know what I mean? Like our detectors are up too. <laughs> so, yeah. so being like, yeah, putting out better quality, like that itself will separate you a little bit. I mean, you still have to know what you're doing, but it will separate you. Like you don't want to put out something where it sounds like, you know, you're hanging out in your bedroom with the fans going, it's blurry. You can see it's on a web webcam and everyone's like oh wow yeah this is great like i love the course but what is up with this dude <laughs> yeah high production value i've heard from uh, some other people i respect they're, they're really seeing uh that trend like if we're of just how you know marketing content digital content it's really like growing up and maturing and high quality is going to be a big differentiator um it already is well, people get tired. That's what I mean. And if you get overexposed, which we've all had, you know, you just, you kind of separate it right away, right? Just by looking at the quality. It's like people say, don't judge a book by its cover. But like, have you ever been to a bookstore? Right. <laughs> if I think about like the Dollar Shave Club video, I've watched that oh, several it's times. Brilliant. Several <laughs> it's times. brilliant. But it's got, it's high quality. It's not some guy just like, you know, by a swimming pool pitching a razor blade. Like it's like, it's entertaining and it's really well produced, but not necessarily. I don't think he spent a million dollars making a video. No. And it's not about the cash. It's just about the quality, right? There's obviously some humor in it. And that's the thing I've been um, trying to do on the podcast like this month uh, is to get some of these people that are helping inject comedy into speeches of CEOs and copywriting, just because I think it's super important, you know, like people want to be entertained and when you entertain them and make them laugh, their guard comes down a little bit. They feel connected. It's easier to sell them. Yeah, that's a really good point. Perhaps some course creators are, take themselves a little too seriously and, um, you know, or try to be too professional and miss the opportunity for that basic human connection around a sense of humor. I mean, look, some, sometimes you got to be dry. You know, if you're in like a accountant that's helping people move money from one country to the next and all you're doing is teaching other accountants how to do it it's got to be pretty dry i mean there's probably going to be some humor which to you would be like you know like old dad humor but you know you can still inject that but overall it's going to be pretty dry you know so don't try to be a comedian just because you know tom or you know some set be funny you know it's not like that but i just mean if if you can entertain the people a little bit especially during the selling process yeah, that's awesome. Well, switching back to the entrepreneur hat, I'm on your We Create Online Courses website and you have a calculator about should you create an online course. And basically you plug in a bunch of numbers, uh, product price, mailing list size, plus followers, percentage of buying from the followers, advertising money spent, cost per click, percentage of people that buy from ads. Why'd you develop this and what is this tool like really help people figure out? So one of the things I found uh, with people that tried to create online courses, at least the ones that knew what they were talking about, um, was how, how can I sell this thing? So, so to create the calculator, we 
um, the conversions come from some of my experience. And I tell them, look, for the most part, you have some kind of a number of followers, right? So just put that in. Um, you want to figure out how much to sell it for? Play around with the numbers. You'll, you'll see what you need to make a profit. And use those two with some of the other percentages based on my experience um, to just figure out how much you, you need to spend, uh, what the pricing is. If your um, initial following is enough, and if it's not, then play with the numbers and see how big you got to grow it. And you have a sort of a rough idea how the marketing thing is going to work. Because, you know, people ask like, oh, how, how big of a list should I have? Well, use the calculator. How much do I need to spend? Use the calculator. What's my pricing? Use the calculator. Right? So it's one of these things like stop asking me, just use that thing. I see a lot of people, in my opinion, build online course projects backwards. They buy the tech, like I'll see people buy our software, Lifter LMS, and then they'll think, okay, I need to go get some course content. I need to make some content. And then they're like, I need to go f build a list to sell to or whatever, which I believe is kind of the opposite way of going about things. It's better to start building community and a list, then start creating the content and then go look for technology to help deliver. Uh, on your calculator page, it says, if your mailing list size plus followers is less than a thousand, uh, that you don't recommend building an online course at this time. How can people get their numbers up if they don't have mailing list size and followers and up to over a thousand yet? Well, you can, you know, put out content and just run traffic to it and see if you can get people to engage with you. You know, that, that's why buying traffic, you know, is one of the fastest ways to make money. And, and, you know, I know it's not what a lot of people want to hear. And I used to be like that too. You know, I used to be like a hardcore SEO guy, you know, didn't use paid traffic for a long time, but you know, if you know what you're doing, and this is why I tell people, you know, maybe just hire someone. How do you help people break through that fear of spending money? Like some people are just like, there's like a barrier between paying for traffic, especially to content, not to a sales page. Well, I always feel like, you know, how are your results? Yeah. Okay. If you're getting five followers a week, okay, so let's waste another six years and call me then. That's a good point. You know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Though. I'll be like, look, if that's the way you want to do it, just go do it. It's fine. I'll be here. Just call me when you're ready. You know, six years. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's fine. This is what you got to do, bro. <laughs> um. If we put our expert hat on for a moment, some of the people listening to this show are book authors. They might be speakers who are tired from, you know, living on airplanes and hotels and conferences, and they're trying to, you know, get into the online course, go digital space. Um, where does it like a book sit? Like, how do you see a book? Because experts can definitely write a book in addition to making courses. Uh, if they already have, how do they get into courses? If there are, if they haven't, if they're, if they're an expert, should they start with a book or skip that or what? We spoke a little about this before the call, um, but okay, this is, this is what I see. Um, and, and I kind of talked about this before, but um, people write books to get speaking gigs, right? And it's usually because the place that you actually get the speaking gig requires you to have a book, you know, this is for a lot of professors and stuff. So people write this book 
They know it's not going to sell, but it's going to get them into a speaking gig. Then when they start speaking, they realize they can't make money from the book because it's not really going to make money. And the only time they do make money is when they're speaking. So now it's like, okay, what can I do where I can make money without using my time? And that's when the online course comes in. The other part of it is I'm speaking. I have nothing to sell. What should I do? Oh, that's when an online course comes in. Yeah. So it's essentially really a business card. It's a business card, but it leads to speaking gigs and eventually people get tired or they just want to make more money. And that's when I say, you know, get an online course. So another example of it is like, and, and we thought about this when it's, when it comes to pricing. Um, I think uh, John Martini actually said this before. Um, I don't know why I was listening to him, but he just said this before and made a lot of sense to me. Um, he said, if people don't have enough money to see him in li- to see him live, cause that's super expensive. He's going to give them a book cause that's like eight to $25. Um, once they read the book and they're like, oh, wow, you're great, but I still don't have the money. Well, I'm going to give them an online course. That's going to be 300 to $700. Then when they say, wow, this is great. So, you know, we're following this customer journey, right? Uh, then yeah. I'm going to give you a group coaching class and that's going to be maybe 1000 to $2,000. And then eventually to the right buyers, I'm going to give them that $10,000, $15,000 in-person retreat. You know, but but everyone has something in their price range where they can buy from me. How do you describe that customer journey from the customer's perspective? Like from the entrepreneur, entrepreneur's perspective, there's like that escalation model of like. Sure. So like, yeah. with John Martini, I'll, I'll tell you this. Um, I read the book because that's all I. I didn't have any trust of the guy. Like I didn't know who this guy was. So I bought the book. I looked at it. I was like, you know, look, I get it and it's great, but I'm done, you know? And then another person might've been like, oh, wow. Like this is exactly what I need. Um, you know, I'm going to get the online course because I want to get a little more handholding. And then they're going to say, wow, this is great. You know, I'm, I'm going to get into the community. And then when they get really excited, like, oh, I got to meet the master they will go to see you in person. So people want more. Like if, if you give them value, they want more and more and more and more and more. And even if you do something in person, like you can be, keep these people coming back for years. Like usually the best customers like of anyone are repeat customers. So like a, a small percentage of customers are going to make all of your sales because anything you put out, they're going to buy. Yeah, that's super helpful. Well, let's put our uh, expert hat on. And a lot of experts out there, like yourself, have a lot of interests, passions, abilities. Um, You have a documentary film about the digital nomad movement called Your Own Way Out, which we'll talk about in a minute. But how have you been able, like as a serial entrepreneur yourself with all these different interests, what has... has, um, There's a lot of people who have lots of interests that have trouble executing or, you know, maintaining multiple businesses at once. How do you make it happen? That's a, that's a hard question. You know, like the, the reason why I'm doing things because I'm just human, right? Like I, I yeah. go from boredom to itching for something like all the time. Like it, it just happens. Like this week I could be bored out of my mind with everything. Next week I start a new project. Now, how do I actually execute? I don't know if I'm working. Is this, 
But what about like systems or partnerships or? Okay, so yeah, so I, I am I am a, a systems guy, uh, yeah. and a lot of people always say that like that time, like your systems are on point. It's it's no. actually obvious by this interview. Just getting into your marketing advice, like there's I see so many systems in there as you're talking. It's awesome. I don't know, like my uh, my ex girlfriend said, I'm neurotic. That's why all the systems come in because <laughs> I, I just I don't like leaving things that's like you know that doesn't work right. Like everything needs to fit. Now, maybe, maybe, you know, it's, it's a good skill. <laughs> I don't know if everyone's got that talent, but it definitely helps me. Um, I just, you know, I do like things that work. Um, but that's one of the constraints which uh, I usually use, usually, you know, because sometimes I'm just too itchy, like with the documentary, and I just go and say, like, fuck it, let's do it. Uh, but usually I, I, I have some constraints, and one of them is, like, can I systemize this thing? Because um, the way my businesses usually go um, is I get excited, I build a system, everything well, works well, um, I barely work on it, I get bored. And I start something new, and it's over and over and over again. And sometimes I kill some business, but a lot of them still run just because the systems were in place. So like my SEO business, I still have some like a book publishing thing. Like They've been running for years of the systems I created on like eight, five years ago, depends which business, right? Um, but yeah, so with the new ones, it's the same thing. It's, it's always looking like, can I create a system that's going to help me maybe eventually not work on this? And if I can't, then unless it's something short-term and super exciting, I usually pass. That's awesome. I want to dig into your own way out a little bit. Um, so you, for those of you who aren't uh, as familiar with the digital nomad movement, um, you know, a lot of it, a lot of people say they read the four hour work week or, um, you know, they just, you know, they, they got really uh, anti whatever their job was and were just looking for a way to just find a different life that's really fulfilling. Um, and then with the introduction of all this internet technology and communication and digital products and freelancer services that you can create. Uh, it, it's kind of this whole movement. Um, so you want to document that. And you, uh, you know, Chiang Mai, Thailand is a big place where uh, these people are. Is that where you filmed the movie? Or did you travel around? Uh, we traveled around, but most of it was filmed in Bangkok. In Bangkok. Yeah, most of it. And so you're, you're interviewing a lot of these um, digital nomads who have found some success. And I'm going to... After, I haven't seen this movie. I watched a trailer, but I can't wait to watch it tonight. And yet you can actually get it on the website, yourownwayout.com. Uh, but what, what did you see? Like, what were some of the common threads that some of these people like Peter Shankman, Derek Sivers, Dan Norris, Rob Walling, uh, these are all names I know in the digital entrepreneurship space. What did they have? Like, what, what patterns did you uncover with, you know, these interviews? I don't know about patterns, but, you know, so I wasn't really there to document the movement, right? So I wanted to get my own freedom initially, right? Yeah. Which just meant I just want to be able to work and travel and just do whatever I want, you know? Like some people say that, you know, you're the biggest threat to a government when they can't control you. And that's a good feeling, you know? You're just doing your own thing. Now, when I did come into this digital nomad space, what I realized is that most of it is bullshit. Like the, the cafes and, and these 
workplaces that they, you know, talk so greatly about on the podcast, I came to see them like, seriously, this is it? <laughs> like, this is what you guys are, have, have been praising for this whole time? It's a shithole. So it was, like, about, uh, it was like selling a lifestyle, but there wasn't. Yeah, it was, it was eye-opening. It, it yeah. was definitely they were selling something. Like, they were selling a dream. But then when you got to the dream, it's like, you know, really? Like, this is it? You know, and, and someone probably felt like I got out of a real good job for this, you know. <laughs> but, right. I mean, look, it's still great to have the freedom. But I'm just saying, look, like that part, like, annoyed me a little bit. Another thing when I came out is, you know, people were saying just get a one-way ticket to Vietnam or, or Thailand and you'll be fine. You'll figure it out. You know, and there's hundreds of people doing this. And some of the people selling it, and I know them personally, are broke. And then when these people come, they're broke too. So in, in Chiang Mai, because that's where I'm at now, and I'm in my own bubble, so I don't really hang out as much. But when I go to these meetups, okay, the, the, this is a funny thing. If you want to feel really good about your income, you go to a meetup in Chiang Mai, and you ask people how much they make. Okay. You know, and you start feeling good, like, okay, you know, I was a little down this week, but now I feel great. <laughs> all right, bye, guys. But they're not making much at all. And this is not a good thing, you know. So I thought someone's selling some kind of a bullshitty dream. So these successful guys that you mentioned on the, in the documentary, a lot of them are my friends. And I was like, look, guys, like, why don't we just tell them the truth about what we're doing? Like, just the realities of it. It's like, you know, we're not going to say anything bad or good, just the realities. Like, this is what it's really like. These are the challenges, you know. Obviously, like, you know, changing locations comes with challenges. Like, but just this is the reality of it. And let them just see it and then say, oh, okay, I want to get into it or not. That was the whole part of it. I just felt like, you know what, it needs to be told. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. I can't wait to, to check it out. That's it, yourownwayout.com. Last question uh, just has to do with a friend of yours, I believe, Brendan Tolley. Um, him and one of his friends, you know, approached me about his course, which is really designed for um, e-commerce store, but a lot of the lessons in it are relevant to course creators as well. I took the course and I loved his teaching style. He had all these like quick wins I could implement on my website, this being a software website, not a course website, although it would still apply for, you know, just finding some SEO quick wins and implementing right away. So he, he, the lessons were very short and he told me like exactly what to do, like at the end of the video. And then I just <laughs> stopped and then I did exactly what he told me to do. And I started seeing results the next week, you know, as everything's getting re-indexed and everything. Uh, so I thought it was a great teacher, but could you speak to Brendan Tully who is coming on this podcast in a little bit? Um, how do you know him and what have you learned from Brendan? Well, I've known Brendan for years. He's one of my best friends. Um, He's a beast, man. Like I, I ask him for advice all the time. You know, he he created that course pretty much himself. Like I always, you know, help out whenever he needs it. But yeah, I mean, the guy, like he he knows what he's talking about, and he's also one of these um, people that only has these niche things which he's really good at. Which that's kind of how you know an expert. You know, what like the extreme focus? Is that what you mean? Like the extreme focus, right? So he mostly focuses on e-commerce, SEO, speeding up websites. Like he's got these very narrow focuses that he mostly 
works on, you know, and one of them uh, is a lot, of, a lot of what he was telling me to do was like incredibly small tweaks, <laughs> but they are. Yeah. And that's what yeah. I mean. He's super yeah. focused in. Yeah. And that's usually when you see an expert, you know, there's so many people that try to come on my podcast so many. And I go on their website and it's like, we do everything. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> but I, I, you know, I just hate that. I was like, so basically what you're saying is like, you don't know how to do anything well. Yeah, you haven't specialized or you're not teaching yeah. specialized knowledge. Well, yeah, like I don't mean you need to do just one thing, but I mean, you know, there should be some sort of a, you know, like pick two or three. Come on. You know, it's, it's enough. So I, I said last question, but I'm going to ask you one more. <laughs> All um, right. The experts, course creators, I see them stall out a lot. Um, for different reasons. It depends. They may be a marketer without expertise, or they may be a teacher with no tech skills, or they know, may know how to build a list, but can't figure out like what kind of product to make or course to design or whatever. So unfortunately, I see a lot of people stall out and it's not always the same, same friction point. But the purpose of this podcast is to help people uh, with that, any other just final parting words of advice to get unstuck? Yeah, just learn how to delegate. I think someone should create a course on that. Teach people how to delegate. You know, too many micromanagers, too many of these, like, I'm going to do it all myself, um, which is all great. But once again, like, how much time do you have to waste? Like, just how much? And at the end, you're still not going to be as good as someone else that knows what they're doing. Now, I'm not saying just go pick someone random from Facebook because that's the worst thing you can do. You know, pick one of these like, hey, you know, who can help me with Facebook marketing? And you're going to get like 15 hands rate. Like, that's the worst thing you could do. But I'm just saying, learn how to delegate. Maybe if you don't know how to delegate, then also learn how to pick um, the right providers. I mean, that's a skill of its own too, right? Just like hiring. You know, how do you hire an A play, A plus player? That's not easy. It's not great, you know, like, obvious how to get a great person on your team it's the same thing with a service provider you're hiring someone like don't think it's just going to be one of these things like oh i'm going to get someone and they'll just just do everything for me you know if you get the wrong person it's going to waste even more time and money so like i get the fear but i mean this is a skill this is one of these skills you need to learn as a business owner how do i hire period yeah that's that's awesome tom and I would encourage you listening to go back and re-listen to this episode because Tom was very generous and shared so many nuggets of wisdom in here. And also I'd like to highlight that point where he was talking about uh, if somebody's only getting like five you know, new leads a day uh, through content marketing or whatever, you know, they, they might have to wait six years to get a result. And just to kind of come to grips with reality of what happens when you don't delegate. Um, it can be, you can be setting yourself up for failure when you try to wear all the hats. Tom, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, everybody go check out S Smart Brand Marketing Podcast. Is there anywhere else you want to send people on the internet to connect with you? No, man, they can come to your page, the one that you're going to set up for this podcast, and they can go from there. Sounds great. Yeah, just Google LMSCast and you'll find this episode with Tom Lee Belt. Thank you, Tom. Yeah, man, anytime. Thanks for having me on. And that's a wrap for this episode of LMS Cast. I'm your guide, Chris Badgett. I hope you enjoyed the show. This show was brought to you by Lifter LMS, the number one tool for creating, selling, and protecting engaging online courses. 
to help you get more revenue, freedom, and impact in your life, head on over to lifterlms.com and get the best gear for your course creator journey. Let's build the most engaging results getting courses on the internet. Thank you.